Well, good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're glad you're choosing to spend part of your Sunday morning with us. We know we say this every week, but we understand that every week there's someone here who may never have heard this before. So we just appreciate you spending an hour or so of your Sunday morning with us. We know there are other places you could be, other things you could be doing, but you chose to be here with us. And uh, we just want you to know that we don't ever take that for granted. We don't ever take that lightly. There's a lot of other stuff that you guys have on your plates uh, over the next couple of weeks. And you carved out an hour or so to be here with us. And we are incredibly grateful uh, for that. As Steve said in the welcome, we're in week two of our series of messages called You Catastrophe. If you don't know how to pronounce it, it is phonetically spelled for you up on the screen, so take it in right now if you're ever concerned and trying to figure out exactly what we're saying. Here's what we're saying. You catastrophe, it was a word that was coined by my favorite author, J.R.R. Tolkien, and here's what he said. He said, I coined the word you catastrophe, the sudden happy turn in a story which pierces you with joy that brings tears, which I argued is the highest function of fairy stories to produce. And I was there led to the view that it produces its peculiar effect because it is a sudden glimpse of truth. And, and here's what he said as he talked about stories and the stories that he had written and the stories that he had loved and the stories that I have loved uh, as I've grown up and the stories that we've read and watched on television screens that we've you know, looked at in books uh, throughout the course of our lives. We are always waiting for that moment in the story when there is a sudden happy turn and a sudden glimpse of a truth that the world tries to tell us, it tries to whisper to us like there is the possibility that something good could come out of the bad things that you have experienced, that something good could come out of the bad things that I have experienced. And so we've been talking about uh, last week and for the next couple of weeks together, this sudden overwhelming of the bad things by the one good thing that if it was actually true, could make us even for a little while forget all of the bad things that we've experienced if the good thing is as true as Jesus claims it to be. And essentially what we're doing week by week is we're just breaking down this definition of a catastrophe. Last week we talked about this idea that it comes suddenly, it comes unexpectedly. And this week we're going to talk about this idea of it is an overwhelming feeling. There's something that happens when we experience that sudden happy turn in the story or when you experience that sudden happy unexpected turn in your life story that feels completely overwhelming. And the way that you understand that, we said this last week, right, is when you're watching a, a, a movie or you're reading a book or you're, you know, kind of, you know, in the middle of one of those stories that you love, there's that moment that all guys deny happens where we get a little bit choked up. There's that moment when all of us decide, you know, I'm not going to admit to that. I'm not going to, I'm going to pretend that that didn't happen. Again, we talked about it in all the stories. Every Disney story that you've ever watched has a you catastrophe somewhere in it. And every time you watch it, you get a little bit choked up. You get a little bit teary-eyed, even if you know it's coming, right? And then when you know it's coming, you like mentally, emotionally prepare yourself. I'm not going to cry this time. I am not going to cry this time. And then no matter what happens, happens like it overwhelms you and then there are those times when it's not a familiar story it's not a story that you've heard before or watched before or seen before and all of a sudden it kind of comes out of nowhere and you feel like this emotional kind of dam breaks inside of you and all of a sudden this this feeling and this emotion and this sadness or this joy or this anger or this fear or whatever it is kind of comes over you and sometimes it leaks out of your eyes just a little bit right because it catches you so off guard and it unexpectedly overwhelms your emotional defenses. Here's why, right? We spend our lives, most of our lives, trying to build up our walls to keep emotion like that out or in. <laughs> 
We spend most of our lives building up our walls to make sure that the dam never breaks and it never overwhelms us and we never get upset. And we, you know, you know, some of us, we've spent our entire lives defining ourselves by our ability to lock down our emotions inside that vault. And nothing can penetrate that vault. Like nothing gets in, nothing breaks the wall, nothing breaks the dam. We spend our lives with all of that emotion just kind of pent up inside of us trying to make sure that it never gets out. But here's what, here's what happens with good stories. Good stories find their way behind your walls. Every good story that has ever caught you off guard, every good story that has ever caused you to cry, every good story that ever had that moment of joy or that sadness or that grief or that pain or that loss or that anger, every good storyteller has his way of getting past your defenses and overwhelming them so that you can't contain yourself anymore. And that emotion actually comes out. That is the power of a good eucatastrophe. That is the power of a good story that overwhelms us. Christmas is the story of the sudden and overwhelming entrance of God into our collective human story. Christmas is the story of God overwhelming the collective emotions of humanity, overwhelming that ability that we have to lock everything down and tighten everything down and not feel it and not deal with it and not, you know, kind of work through it. All of that stuff that we kind of close up inside of the vault. And there's a reason why you get a little emotional at this time of year. There's a reason why you get a little emotional and a little tearful and happy or sad or whatever it is that you feel during this season because there's some part of you, this deep part of you that believes in this possibility that God could overwhelm you with his one good thing. We're going to read uh, this morning a, a story that is probably familiar to you if you've been in church for any length of time. And here's how it goes in Luke chapter 1. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Luke, in his story of Jesus' birth, has already kind of prepared us for this possibility that, that God would send messages to people. In fact, he's already sent a message to a guy named Zachariah and said, Hey, you're going to have a son, and I know you're old and your wife is old and you're past childbearing years, but you are going to have a son, and, and this son is going to be the prophet that God sends ahead of his anointed one, his Messiah, into the the world and this son that you're going to have is going to be a special and unique son among all of the sons that the world has ever experienced. And then this angel shows up to a, a little person, a little insignificant person in the story. A person who, by all accounts, if, if you were to just kind of list out, you know, who's powerful, who's significant, who's important, who should God show up to to make sure that he makes an announcement of good news, of great joy, like this is not the person that God should show up to and tell this to. This is a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph who's living in a little town of Nazareth in the hill country of Galilee that is completely overlooked. This is not the person that you start the Yucatan with. This is not the person that the sudden turn of happy events comes about as a result of. And the angel Gabriel shows up to Mary. And on the surface, she is not a favored one. 
Number one, in her culture, in her society, she is a woman. So she is not a favored one. A man was a favored one. She is a virgin who is already betrothed. She's probably at this point maybe 13 to 15 years old. She is a young, young woman. She's already betrothed to her husband, Joseph, who's going to essentially, for the rest of her life, control her destiny. She is not a favored one. She is, at the time, living in her parents' home under the authority of her father because he doesn't want to mess up the marriage relationship. And so he's got her locked down, and eventually Joseph will have her locked down. And the angel comes to Mary, and we've heard it so many times. We're like, yeah, obviously, it's, you know, Mother Mary, Mary, Mother of God. You know, if you're Catholic, hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord, you know, like all of that stuff, right? Like, but here's the thing, like when the angel shows up for the first time to Mary and says, greetings, oh favored one, she's like, uh-uh, not me. You, you got the wrong address. Like, you're in the wrong place. I am not the favored one. Like, not only all of those things that I stacked up against me, but, right, like, we are an oppressed nation, an oppressed people. I'm just a little insignificant virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph that will one day be my husband. And up until that time, I'm just waiting here at dad's house so that I don't mess up the marriage relationship. Greetings, oh, favored one. Really? I think you missed who you were talking to. And the angel says, greetings, O favored one, because God is with you. Because God, not because of all the surface stuff of your life, not because you're rich or not because you're powerful or not because you're significant or not because everybody else who looks at your life says, I want to have her life, not because of that. Greetings, O favored one, God is with you and she is favored simply because God is with her. That's it. It's not about how rich, powerful, prestigious, or you know, important or significant she is on the surface of her life. The thing that causes her to be the favored one of God is that God is saying, I am with you. And what, what Mary knows, and, and if you had kind of paid attention to the, to the Old Testament stories, that every time someone shows up in the story and an angel or some kind of message comes to them and says, greetings, O favored one, God is with you. What that means for them is that God is going to be with them because what they are about to experience is going to be incredibly difficult. Greetings, O favored one, God is with you, which means, oh, by the way, you are going to be needing God to be with you because what you are about to experience, the mission that I have prepared for you, the plan that's laid out for you, the thing that's ahead of you, the thing that you are about to undertake is not going to be the easiest task. And so you will need me to be with you. And so you are favored. You're the recipient of God's grace. God is smiling on you and shining down on you. You are favored and God is with you and therefore because God is with you I have news to announce to you you have a task to accomplish in the world there's something that God has prepared for you and the angel said to her don't be afraid Mary for you have again just reiterating just repeating you have found favor with God God is smiling on your life and behold you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Greetings, O favored one. God is with you, and here is the mission that God is presenting to you. 
you will be the mother of the son of the living God who is about to enter into this world and into this story. You will be the woman who of all the women on the planet that I could have chosen at this point, you will be the one that I've chosen to bring my son into the world. You'll be the one through whom the world will receive the favor and the goodness and the grace and the mercy of their God. You will be the one through whom I will smile not just on you, but I will smile on the entire world. You will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he's going to be great, son of the most high, son of his father David. He's going to sit on the throne of his father David. And, and here's the thing, again, because we've heard it so many times, we just forget how overwhelming this must have been for Mary. Like how completely bewildering, how shocking, how just amazingly, you know, just ridiculous this would sound, right? And, and here's, here's what we should think about, right? For at this point in the human story, there has not been a king sitting on the throne of her father, David, for nearly 600 years. 600 years. The dynasty of David, you know, David and Goliath who becomes king, you know, that whole story, if you remember that, like that guy became king and he had sons and grandsons and their, their dynasty went on for a few hundred years, but it has now been, by the time the angel shows up to Mary, it has been 600 hundred years since a son of David sat on the throne in Jerusalem. It has been 600 years since anyone in that family line could claim that they were the king over the nation that God had chosen. And at that time, the time the angel shows up to Mary, there's a puppet king ruling in Jerusalem who basically works for Rome, reports back to Rome, is not even fully Jewish, and he calls himself the king of the Jews. And so when the angel shows up and says, hey, Mary, by the way, you're going to have a son, and you're going to bear this son, and you're going to bring this son into the world, and he will give, God will give him the throne of his father David, and over the entire nation and over the world, he's going to rule and reign, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary's like, uh, no, no. Like, because I'm from the family of David. Like, I know I can trace my ancestry. I can trace my genealogy back to David. And, and Joseph, he can trace his, you know, lineage and his genealogy all the way back to David if we wanted to go back that far. But even if we come together and even if we have a son and even if somehow, you know, all of this stuff comes true, he's not going to be the king over the nation of Israel. Like, no one's ever even going to know who this child is. He is going to be the son of a peasant. He's not the king of Israel. Not sitting on the throne of his father David. Not ruling over some unending kingdom. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I mean, even if, even if all this happens, even if I get married to Joseph, even if all the hopes and the dreams come true, even if everything works out exactly the way that we think it's going to be, how is this going to happen? I mean, don't, I mean, you see who I am. I can stack up my objections against your invitation to this mission. I'm weak and poor and insignificant, a peasant woman, a virgin, not even married yet, betrothed to a man named Joseph, in the little town of Nazareth, in the backwoods of Israel, which is a little tiny corner of the world. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow or 
overwhelm you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And here's what the angel makes clear to Mary. This story, this sudden happy turn is not going to be brought about by any human means possible. The only way this sudden happy turn of the story happens is when God himself gets involved in such a way that it overwhelms you, it overwhelms your story, it overwhelms all of the stuff that you've experienced up until this moment. The only way that this story suddenly and happily turns around is if God comes in such overwhelming fashion that you just stand back and watch what God is doing is the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the, whole, the Most High God will overshadow or will overwhelm you and what will be conceived in you will not be a child by human birth. This will be a child that we will call for a couple of thousand years now the Son, the living God. This, this word that Luke uses to talk about overshadowing and overwhelming of Mary is used only one other time in the New Testament. It's used only one other time in the Gospels. And it's at the moment when Jesus is transfigured. He's up on the mountaintop with three of his disciples. And, and it says, the glory of God came down in a cloud and it overshadowed the three of them. And when it overshadowed the disciples and Jesus, they saw Jesus revealed in all of his glory and all of his majesty and in all of his power. And Luke uses the same word to describe what God by the Holy Spirit is going to do for Mary. He says, I will overwhelm you in such a tangible way. I will overwhelm you in such a physical way that you will actually conceive within yourself a child who will be called the son of the most high God. Something out of this world is about to enter into this world. Something, someone from out of this world is about to enter into this world. Something from beyond this creation, someone who is the creator of all that you see and all that we don't see, someone who is over all of this creation is going to enter into the creation story, enter into the human story in such an overwhelming way that this story could never be the same from this moment forward. Again, and you, Mary... You, you're going to be the one that I've chosen. You're the one in all your smallness and all your insignificance. You're the one overlooked. You're the one that no one else is going to pay attention to. That through you, I'm going to bring my son in such overwhelming fashion into the world. And then he goes on to say it this way. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said... Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And, and here's what the angel says. Here, if God is involved in this story, if God is involved in the sudden happy turn of events, then what you should understand is there is nothing that will be considered impossible for him. Like if God is involved in this story, then what you should understand is he is willing to move heaven and earth literally to move this story in the direction that he wants it to go. If God is involved, then he's written the laws of nature, he's set the created order, he put all of that stuff in motion, and yet in this moment he 
is about to overwhelm and suspend and just for this moment, you know, kind of upend the natural order of the way the world works so that he could turn the story in his direction, moving heaven and earth to make possible what everyone else would say is impossible, that God, the creator of the world, would somehow enter into his creation. And Mary says to the angel, like she comes to the angel, hearing all of this news, overwhelmed as she is with all of the stuff that she's experiencing, overwhelmed as she is with the news that the angel has brought to her, and says simply back to him, let it be to me according to your world. In other words, begin the overwhelming of the world with me. Begin the sudden overwhelming of the bad, all of the bad, all of the junk, all of the nonsense, all of the brokenness. Begin the sudden overwhelming of all of that bad stuff with me. If this is the way you want the story to go, if this is the sudden happy turn, and if the sudden happy turn is going to turn on me becoming a pregnant teenager not married to my husband yet, then let it be to me according to your word. If you're about to overwhelm the story, if you're about to break the dam of the emotions collectively of the human story, if you're about to give us the sudden happy turn that would produce tears of joy in our hearts and on our faces when we hear the good news that you are announcing to the world, if that's what you are about to do, if this whole thing is going to be overwhelmed and upended and turned upside down, then I would ask that you would start it with me. Overwhelm the story of the world with me. And Mary said, this is just a a few, uh, maybe weeks, months later, we're not even sure, just a short period of time later, she goes down to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who has also received the news of her own miraculous birth. And, And as she comes into Elizabeth's house, she breaks out into this song, breaks out into this poem, and here's what she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary's song, this you know, song that, again, we, we hear over and over again every Christmas season. Because we've heard it so many times, because it's so kind of ingrained in us, we don't recognize exactly what it is. But really, it's the words, it's the emotions, it's the feeling of a person for whom the dam has broken. Right? Like, this is the story. This is the song of a woman who says, God, you have done something incredible. 
and unbelievable. You have done something so overwhelming that there's no way I could possibly contain this. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because God has looked on me and has chosen me to be the recipient of his favor, the recipient of his blessing. God has chosen to turn around my story, and in turning around my story, has chosen to begun the turning around of the story of the entire world. Like, this is unbelievably good news, and he's taken the whole order of things, and he is flipping this thing upside down. Essentially, what what he says is, what she says is, look, God took the proud people, the ones who, you know, kind of thought so much of themselves, and he scattered their imaginations, scattered them and their pride. Brings down the mighty from their thrones and takes the humble and the insignificant and the overlooked, and he raises them up. He takes the hungry who are, you know, kind of set on the margins of society, and he fills them with good things and sends the rich away empty-handed. And he looked at his servant Israel, this little insignificant nation, and he remembered the promises that he had made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And he said, because of the promises I made to them, I will step into this story. I will overwhelm this story, and I will use this little nation, this little group of oppressed people, this little woman and little Nazareth in her father's house still, betrothed and not even yet married to her soon-to-be husband, Joseph, and I will overwhelm the story of the world. So when Mary sings her song, it is this song of overwhelming praise and joy because God has done something that she could not have believed was possible. It's her recognition that God has been impossibly and overwhelmingly good. So when we read the Christmas story and we hear over the next couple of weeks together, these ideas and these stories and these you know, kind of narratives and these characters that we've seen time and time again. Here's what we need to be reminding ourselves over and over again, that God has been impossibly and overwhelmingly good to the world. That God, in sending Jesus into this world, has said to the world, I am impossibly and overwhelmingly good for you. And not just, and, and this, is the, this would be the, the important part of the story, not just that God has been impossibly and overwhelmingly good to the story of the human existence, but that God has been impossibly and overwhelmingly good to you. That when you recognize that the Son of the Most High God has entered into the human story to come and bear your grief and bear your sorrow and bear your sin, that you would recognize that God has been to you impossibly and overwhelmingly good and that it would be right and it would be true and it would be right on point if at some point in the next couple of weeks you felt something well up inside of your soul. If you felt some kind of emotion, whether it was joy or sadness or grief or whatever it was, if you felt something in the next couple of weeks that overwhelmed and broke the barriers and the walls of your heart and your soul and let something of that out because you recognize that in all of this, 
that you've experienced and I've experienced, that God has been to you and to me impossibly and overwhelmingly good. And would we, for the next couple of weeks, maybe together, would we be willing to pray the prayer that Mary prayed when she heard the news that the angel spoke to her? And it would go like this. Begin the overwhelming of the world with me. Begin the overwhelming of the world with me. This is what the Christmas story invites us into. It invites us to let the walls break just a little bit. It invites us that instead of locking everything down and our emotions and our feelings and all that stuff for the next couple of weeks. It invites us to allow God to break the dam just a little bit. It invites us to say, you know what, God? This story has not gone the way I thought it would go. And it hurts. And it's difficult. And it's painful. And it's sad. And yet, I believe that you are impossibly and overwhelmingly good. So would you begin the story, the overwhelming the story with me? Maybe, I mean, I hope, maybe you've had like just the best year possible. Like this is everything that I wanted. This is everything that I was looking forward to. This is everything that I've hoped for. Listen, don't be afraid and don't be ashamed of your joy. Don't be ashamed of the fact that God has been overwhelmingly and impossibly good to you. That if you have experienced that kind of joy, here's the thing. You didn't get it by yourself. God has gifted it to you. He's been gracious to you. And he's extended his good hand to you. And so, all of us together, wherever we are, Here's what we say in response to the invitation of God. God, would you begin the overwhelming of the world with me? I don't want to keep that inside. I don't want to bottle that up. I'm going to let you break the dams. I'm going to let you overwhelm the walls of my soul and my emotion. And I'm going to feel the reality that you've been impossibly and overwhelmingly good to me. And if you could do that for me, if you could do that for me, then it's possible that you could do that for someone else in me and maybe even through me. Would you pray with me this morning? And then we're going to sing together.